Hey moms, welcome to this episode of the Dorinda Wilson podcast. I am Dorinda Wilson, married to Daryl for 32 years, mom to eight kids, ages 17 to 30, and Nana to eight. I'm also a 26-year veteran homeschooling mom, and I am thrilled to be here with you today. I've been just really waiting on the Lord a lot during this particular season of my life. And um, as I was doing that, He just, you know, pours things into my heart. And uh, today's podcast is one of those things. But before I dive in to the topic, which is essentially guarding our hearts against deceptive narratives, I want to share something with you. If you've decided to homeschool and you listen to this podcast, I am guessing that you have a desire to slow down and enjoy the journey. Oops. (laughs) So my friends at Homeschooling Today magazine share our hearts for homeschooling. The print magazine is gorgeous. When it comes in the mail, you'll want to get away and savor it. Yes, you'll find some great ideas for teaching that will inspire you, but you'll also feel emboldened to homeschool in a way that helps your kids discover who God created them to be. That's one reason I love writing for them. I know they're passionate about homeschooling and have a deep desire to help you homeschool boldly, to remind you that we're in this together and to help you see past the present trials into the reality of your true calling, equipping your children to be the remarkable people God created. So check out Homeschooling Today at homeschoolingtoday.com. I will leave that in the podcast notes, that link. All right, let's talk about guarding our hearts against deceptive narratives. We hear that word a lot flying around, and essentially a narrative is just basically a story. But I think what I'm really dialing in on here is a uh, what would be more like a pre-existing story. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means in just a minute. But have you ever noticed how people tend to retell stories in a way that it fits or aligns with a narrative that they've already decided is true. So that's really what I mean by like a pre-existing narrative. We see this in politics, all sides. We see it in medicine. We see it in churches. Um, We see it everywhere. Even like I said, churches have even embraced this. And it's one thing to align our thoughts and beliefs, et cetera, with the word of God, because that narrative is objective truth that never changes. It's directly from God. But much of the time, that is not what's happening. Even as believers, we can be easily deceived in this area. So for instance, just ask yourself how many ways you might do this in your everyday life. Um, I've been asking myself this question. In other words, we already believe something. So we interpret circumstances, situations, things people say, things we hear, through that narrative. I'll give you an example. I have a friend who recently spent months working on her health. Her story is very inspiring. It has inspired others to take the same journey with great success. Um, But one person in particular uh, that she knew was 10 days into this journey and decided to stop doing what has worked for many others. She said that it just wasn't working for her. And that may or may not be true, 
But in the midst of a conversation with her, this woman proceeded to question the results of my friend's success. She did so by literally trying to retell my friend's story to fit the narrative that she had already decided, which was that this program didn't work. So she was essentially changing my friend's story to fit her narrative. And my friend looked at her um, and very respectfully, but boldly said, you don't get to change my story to fit your narrative. You know, we live in a world that seems to be pressing more and more into our personal lives to convince us that our stories are subjective to whatever narrative is currently trending or is even maybe even a traditional way to think about things that can also be a narrative. For example, you know, with education, people say, how will they be socialized? Well, that's just a question that everybody seems to ask and not really um, thinking about what it means or what it, you know, what it could look like when you homeschool your kids. It's just a traditional way to think it's a pre-existing narrative, right? Is that homeschooling kids aren't socialized, right? So that's what I, that's kind of what I'm, I'm talking about here. It's very difficult to resist that pressure to conform um, or to even be, you know, thinking about or believing that pre-existing narrative if we are not recognizing how we're already, we already might be doing this in our own heads. I hope you're tracking with me here. Um, For example, how many times do we respond to people, circumstances, social media, based on a pre-existing narrative that we are telling ourselves because of culture, social media, traditional thinking about something, et cetera. For example, um, a family member says something negative to, negative to us about homeschooling or questions us on what our kids are learning and we immediately feel rubbed the wrong way or condemned and we, we begin to feel angry and insecure and defensive and fearful. But it's very likely that we already have a narrative running in our hearts and minds that says something like this. You're not adequate to teach your children. You don't have a degree. You don't know what you're doing, right? The truth is that that person's comment likely wouldn't bother us if we weren't already believing the lies or the narrative. Their comment simply brought out the narrative that was already running in our heads, maybe without us even realizing it. Sometimes those situations bring that out. And this is why it's so important that we understand that the enemy is whispering lies to us whenever he can. And we are often listening and believing without even realizing it. First Peter 5 verses 8 through 11 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It takes effort and intention and time to be sober-minded and watchful. If there's one thing that goes out the window when we are constantly in a hurry, it is the fact that we are far less likely to be able to process what's happening even in our own thoughts. We won't even be aware that these thoughts are running through our head or this narrative is running through our head. 
Um, But to do this, to take that time, is what the Bible calls guarding your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Our thoughts matter. The narrative that we are believing matters. So it's really imperative that we aren't being rushed or hurried in our souls and our lives aren't filled with more than what is necessary or more than what God is calling us to. This is why I'm always encouraging moms to slow down, to simplify. When we slow down and are still before the Lord, we give him the opportunity to speak to us, to reveal our hearts to us, to help us address our fears and concerns by praying the truth and reading the truth in God's word. So in my 54 years, God has brought me back to this repeatedly because I struggle with getting too many irons in the fire. Um, That's why I find it quite humorous that God would use me to bring this message to moms over and over again. Uh, It's one of the most powerful tools that he has used in my life to sanctify me. Um, But it's a discipline. It's not something that comes naturally for me. So understand that, you know, a lot of times um, people picture me and I've, I've heard this from people. They picture me as this just super relaxed personality that just, you know, go with the flow, that being unhurried is just something I naturally do. You guys, it is not. I'm a perfectionist. I'm type A. Um, I like things done well, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But at what cost? Right. And so um, it it makes me laugh that, you know, like I said, people picture me that way, because the reason that I come here and I talk to you about this is because, like I said, it has been a discipline in my life. And it's a place that God has brought me back to over and over and over again, even in this season that I'm in right now. um, He has basically like, he has basically slowed me way down to almost a stop. And I won't go into details, but um, I like to let the story unfold and then I'll tell it um, because I don't want to, again, create a a narrative and tell a story that hasn't been told yet. Um, But I tend to be to struggle with preoccupation, especially, you know, when you're a mom and you're multitasking, you're constantly trying to think ahead, which can be good. It's a gift. It's something that the Lord's given us. But when we're constantly doing one thing and feeling like we should be doing something else, instead of being content and fully present with what's right in front of us, that becomes problematic. And that was my issue and still is something that I struggle with. And so I have to practice this unhurried, um, simplifying type of lifestyle. Um, because really, what, what is preoccupation? Like, I know that we need to multitask sometimes and some of that thinking ahead, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this constant, like thinking about something else while you're doing, while you're doing one thing, you're constantly thinking about something else. Okay. It's really a form of discontent. And the Bible has a lot to say about um, contentment, but one of my favorite verses is 1 Timothy 6, 6, very easy to remember. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But you love that? Pursuing the Lord, doing the work that he's put in front of us, but doing it with contentment is great gain 
gain. Because what is godliness? It's doing what God is calling us to do. Now, you're, you're all familiar with that scripture in Philippians 4.13. It talks about uh, being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Uh, you know, several years ago, I thought, you know, I'm going to look at that verse in context because I'm wondering what is the writer, Paul, talking about when he talks about um, when he talks about doing all things through Christ, um, being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Well, guess what? Turns out he was talking about contentment. He goes through the list of things that he had experienced. And and he said, he basically, in all these things, he had learned to be content. It's not something that comes automatic. It is a discipline, again, to be content with what God has put right in front of us, content with what God has given us in this moment at this time. And, you know... Basically, when he talks about doing all things through Christ who strengthens him, it is it is basically saying, I can be content because it is Christ who strengthens me, who strengthens me to be content. Um, again, because it doesn't come naturally. Now, am I saying that multitasking is bad? Absolutely not. God gave us the ability to multitask. Now, the difference is, like I kind of mentioned before, is in whether or not we have a calm, peaceful spirit while multitasking or one that is driven, rushed, or chaotic. I think this is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about women having a gentle and quiet spirit. It may at least be one of the ways. It doesn't mean you are only one type of personality, um, but rather everything that God made you to be is anchored in a deep and abiding trust in him and is yielded to him. So even if you're boisterous, outgoing, um, maybe have tend to have more of a commanding personality, God made you that way. But it all has to be yielded to him. And just because someone is quiet or seems meek does not mean that they really actually do have a gentle and quiet spirit. So you know, you can't really judge a book by its cover, but this gentle and quiet spirit, I believe one of the ways that we have a gentle and quiet spirit is to have a calm and peaceful spirit as we're going throughout our day, not one that is driven, rushed, and chaotic. Now that doesn't mean we're not busy. We can be busy and still have a calm, peaceful spirit. Um, being busy though, doesn't, like I said, doesn't necessarily mean um, that were driven, rushed, and chaotic. But you know, you know the state of your heart. Um, well, actually, the heart is deceitful, so sometimes we aren't recognizing it. But the red flags go up um, when we start getting impatient with our kids, and you know things like that. We know it's time to hit the pause button and, and step back and say, "All right, Lord, am I? You know, why am I feeling driven, or am I feeling driven? Am I? Is there a chaotic feeling here? Why is this here?" and what do you have to say about it um, so that we can return to that place of rest and, and be working from that place of rest? Because moms, the bottom line is we are responsible for that. No one else can do that for us. That is our responsibility as moms, as wives, as the, um, the keepers of our homes. We are responsible for um, yielding our hearts to the Lord and, and practicing 
this gentle and quiet spirit. This isn't something we put on. This is not an act. This is something that has to come from the Lord. It comes from yielding to Him, from listening to Him, from being content with what He's put right in front of us in that moment. Again, what does Proverbs say? Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It's going to affect everything you do. And as moms, we can't afford to not um, be walking that out because it affects so many people. It affects our children, our husbands, the people we relate to throughout the day. Um, So it's really important, moms, that we are guarding our hearts. So the questions we need to be asking ourselves, um, the question is what narrative are we believing a biblical one or whatever the world and the enemy are dishing out? You know, uh, we've all had, you know, the influence of, of social media. We've had the influence of the world. And uh, one of the ways that the enemy uses that is is he repeats it um, in our heads and 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 kind of makes it this ongoing narrative sometimes without us even Realizing it. So we need to be sure that this narrative we are believing and living out of is a biblical one, not whatever the world and the enemy are dishing out. We don't want what they have to offer. I have been guilty countless times of saying that God is writing my story, but so often I grab the pen out of his hand and I begin to write my own story. I have my own agenda, I have my own narrative. Can anyone else relate? I've also heard of God's plan throughout history and all of time, including now, described as a grand play that he's writing. He is the hero, and we are simply the characters in the play. And as much as we'd like to be, we are not the main story. He is. However, as believers, we have the privilege of playing a part in it. And that part is I mean, everyone has a part in it, obviously. But as believers, our part is beautiful and redemptive. It's set apart. It's different than the world. It is full of steadfast love, uh, the steadfast love of God for his people that never fails. To think that the God of the universe intentionally knit us together just the way we are and placed us during this specific time in history is astounding to me. He brings meaning to everything we do, even the smallest things. So our thinking and our lives need to revolve around this creator who has a plan and a purpose for our lives and for our family's lives. He gave us these specific children. He gave us our specific spouses. He placed us exactly where we are on this planet in this country, in this state, in our community, in our specific homes. He is writing our story. He is always working. So we look for where he's working and we join him. So what do we see God doing in our children's lives? And how do we cooperate with that work? Think 
about that. If we are believing the narrative that children are an obstacle, they're not a blessing. The world tells us children are an obstacle. There's something that just get in the way of what we really want. We're going to live out of that narrative or into that narrative. Okay. So we need to ask ourselves, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in our children's lives? Because then all of a sudden when a discipline issue comes up, Instead of seeing it as an obstacle to our agenda, we see it as, God, what are you wanting to do in my child's life right now? In this child's life right now? What? Um, show me what you want. Show me what you're doing and I will cooperate with it. So we pray every day for eyes to see where he's working and join him in whatever he's doing as he leads. And this is when we begin to experience God and his good and perfect narrative for our lives instead of railing against it. This is when we stop trying to live out our own ideas of the way things should be and instead live out a robust life of faith in every area of our lives. This is what it means to live out the gospel, declaring through the way we live our lives that Jesus is Lord. Not just at church, not just in certain places, but comprehensively Lord over every area of our lives. Our marriages, our parenting, our children, and how we're parenting them, every relationship in our lives, our work, our education, our politics, our healthcare. We want him to be Lord over our lives comprehensively. So in all of these areas and more, we are a living testimony that Jesus is Lord over us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Proverbs 12, I'm sorry, Romans 12, one through six says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I don't have the same gifts that you do. It's so important not to give in to those comparisons. God has created us each uniquely and our families uniquely. So listen to that phrase again, sober judgment. What is he saying? Think with sober judgment. In other words, we are looking at our own lives through the eyes of God rather than man. We are asking him to reveal our own hearts to us so that we can live authentically Christ-like, not conform to this world, not yielding to the world's unbiblical and ungodly framework, not trying to be like our, our neighbor or our friend or another homeschooling mom, not allowing the world to press in and rewrite the narrative that God has established for our lives. 
So I encourage you to think, um, we need to be thinking, what narrative are we believing about our marriage? I'd encourage you to take some time to really just take these questions and I'll include them in the show notes and really take some time to reflectively um, think them through and pray over them. Ask the Lord to show you what narrative are we believing about our marriage? What narrative are we believing about our children? How about our past? Our bodies? What about homeschooling? Do we believe that God has called us to homeschool? And if he's called us, he will equip us. He is not going to call us to this and then leave us on the side of the road for dead. That is not the God we serve. He takes care of his people. We have to understand who we are. We are a holy people set apart for his purposes. And the narrative that the world and the enemy try to frame for us is the opposite of who God says we are. He is a God who fills his people with strength for each day they live on this earth. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Lamentations 3 verses 22 and 23 say, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. At the end of the day, as believers, we live to serve him, to please him, not man. God is our judge. Let's let him be the judge of our hearts. Do you need wisdom? Let him give it to you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what it says in Proverbs. That means that we care more about what God thinks than what others think, or even what we think. We fear the Lord above all else. We let him judge us. We let him judge our homeschooling journey. Psalm 75, 7 says, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. That is his job. That is his role. He is the judge. Psalm 50 verse 6 says, and the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Isaiah 33 22 says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. So we're looking at our lives through the framework of God and his word, what he has to say about us. We need to continually let him lead us to a place where we are at peace with how he is leading us. Now, this is an ongoing battle, but we need to keep going back there. I always say, you know, you fall off the wagon, get back on again. Fall off the horse, get back on. Keep going back to pursuing that peace that only comes from him with how he is leading us. And however he is leading us, we need to stay that course. Don't let the shiny things, social media, or other even well-meaning moms or Christians divert you from the path that God has you on. If we keep believing the narrative that the world and the enemy keep trying to hand to us, and again, sometimes this happens through other well-meaning or maybe not so well-meaning Christians who have actually succumbed to a worldly mindset. If we keep believing that, 
narrative that the world and the enemy try to keep handing to us. We will never truly find joy in this journey that God has us on, and our children will suffer as well. When we retell a story to fit a certain narrative that isn't God's will for our lives, we are essentially living a lie. God hates lies. He hates deceit. He knows what kind of suffering happens when we live in lies. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The truth is life-giving, even if it hurts sometimes. John 8, describes the enemy as Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. Now, remember, these were the religious people of that, of that day. So again, we're going to have people who call themselves Christians who are essentially uh, working from a worldly narrative, an unbiblical narrative. It says in eight, uh, John eight forty four, you are of your father, the devil. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's also referred to moms as the accuser of the brethren. He loves to accuse and condemn. If you're feeling that, sensing that, that is not him. Okay, that is not conviction. That is condemnation. And that is not of him. We take that to the Lord and we ask him to reveal the truth about our hearts to us because he is the true judge. This is why God sent Jesus, because he took our place and he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we couldn't die and he rose again. We have the freedom to live in all the freedom that truth brings. We can safely face our own sin and failings and shortcomings because when we confess our sins, we are simultaneously confessing our victory. When we confess our sins, we are confessing that Jesus is Lord. So moms, just know that whatever your strengths are, God wants to use them to grow your children into godly, productive, healthy adults And also know that your weaknesses are not an obstacle to him. He will faithfully provide everything you and your children need. It may not look like what you expect, but I guarantee it will be so much better because that's the kind of God we serve. He always wants the very best for us and has the power to make that happen. He does all things well. He has the power to give us what's very, the very best for us. Stop believing the lies and start believing God, knowing that he will give you the wisdom you ask for. James 1 verses 2 through 8 says this, actually 5 through 8, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the lord he is double-minded unstable in all his ways i have found myself the most unstable when i ask god for wisdom and then i rush to other resources to try to find it instead of waiting on him and seeking his heart and his ways. Um, So 
We need to meditate on who God is and who He says we are. We need to tear down the narrative that keeps running through our heads and replace it with the truth. Moms, be faithful to guard your heart against deceptive narratives and let God transform you through the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what His will is. Take your thoughts captive and remember what Philippians 4, 8, and 9 says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for all the amazing reminders. Just your word is such a blessing. It is full of truth. And we thank you that we can stand firmly on it. God, I pray for every mom listening that you would give her wisdom, that you would reveal to her any narratives that she is believing that are not true, that are not of you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, understand that as we do that, we are waging war, not as the world does, um, but these weapons that we that we wage war with are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. God, pull down the strongholds in our lives um, and show us the truth so that we can live the story that you are writing for us and for our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.